Welcome to the first ever DWD Roundtable. This is a series where we have a conversation with two of our friends, Joey and I, about a specific topic. Here are the rules of the game. One, we've designed a topic before the conversation for this episode. Two, our guests had to read some articles that were given to them beforehand, and all the articles will definitely be linked in the description below. Three, the last but most important rule is to be calm, and we're going to have a researched conversation about our design topic. So now, without further ado, let's get into it. Boom. So today's topic is if we find, it's kind of like a scenario. If we find students using drugs in high school, since this is such a, a popular topic now, should we increase strict punishments such as detentions, suspensions, and expulsion? Or should we have something like a rehabilitative program, something like a 12-step program? And is the current policies which we have implemented in the United States school systems correct or incorrect? True. So first, let's introduce our guests. Obviously, Joey and I are here, but we have two amazing guests today. Josh, welcome to the podcast, and Kittis, welcome to the podcast. All right. Josh, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, so I go to Roslyn High School like Asher and Joey, and like them, I'm also part of the debate team. And if you don't know, my name is Josh, and better known as JSB. And yeah. JSB. Yeah. Since when are you known yeah. as JSB? Yeah. Since eighth grade. Why you get? Yeah. Why you yeah. get the acronym? <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of sort of known as X, 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 My Z. Xbox gamer tag is JSB Baller. All right, now you need to You're add trash. it. Kittis, could you introduce yourself as well? Yeah, I'm Kittis. I go to Roslyn High School like Josh. Um, I'm in 11th grade. I'm not on the debate team like everyone else. <laughs> um, people call me KHW. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> no one calls you that. I'm ki- it was a joke. JSB. <laughs> and, and we're excited to talk about drugs. Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, before before we hop into each of our opinions, I think we should run through kind of the history of drug policy, at least in the United States. Joe, do you want to take that? Do you know anything about the, the history of drug policy? Um, history of drug policy in the United States. Um, yeah, so there's been a few campaigns. I'm sure that you guys know the D.A.R.E. campaign. Yeah. It's like literally everywhere. It was everywhere in like 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, the effectivity, effectivity, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit questionable as to whether or not it's worked well. Um, I'm not too familiar with the Just Say No campaign, but Just Say No was created by Nancy Reagan, you know, like President Reagan's yeah. wife. That was her biggest campaign when she was, um, when he, his, he was in the office. Um, and basically the idea is just say no to drugs. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure everyone's heard that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was the start, Reagan marks the start really of massive incarceration um, especially when tied to the War of Drugs campaign, which still continues on today, a lot of those policies. Dare, on the other hand, is is more of like a pledge saying that I'm not going to do drugs, but you have to do it like in front of officials. Like a lot of a lot of schools, what I was reading said that police officers will be there during their day. Like I I remember in middle school, I think I think all of us had to do this. We had to like write our name on this huge big plaque. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, I remember. And so like that's basically what the Dare campaign is, but there's not much more to yeah. it. Also, uh, there's there's the Crack Is Whack campaign. I don't know if you guys have heard it. Although it's, <laughs> I have. although it's a little bit more of an elaborate campaign, considering that I don't know of anyone who legitimately does crack nowadays. Um. It was it it cra- had, there's a there's a crack epidemic, bro. Yeah, but anyways, <laughs> I, I think that the crack is whack campaign, which was in the 
I want to say early to mid nineties, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, please. Um, but, um, I think that we're dealing with a different issue nowadays because I think that the prominence of crack is decreasing and the prominence of other drugs like e-cigarettes and marijuana is on the rise. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's a bit of a history, at least from our perspective of drug policy, especially as it's related to high schools. But now I want us to hop into more more of the details of our own opinions. So I want us to go around the table. And we can. I, I, Joe, do you want to? Actually, no. Let's let's start with Josh. All right. Josh, what what is your take on on the scenario that we've given you? All right. So I'm gonna start off by talking about Dare, like you guys were just talking about. So Dare, one of the biggest things that they're trying to do is just inform kids about like drug use and substance abuse and tell kids like what kind how many deaths result from this and like what are the effects of using certain drugs but i feel like that kind of like undermines especially today what the leading factor for kids to use drugs actually is right like i don't really think that kids don't understand that oh using marijuana might get me to might cause like some kind of brain damage like 20 years in the future what I think is that kids acknowledge that and it just they don't really care because right now, especially in 2019 with social media and everything, the social pressure that you receive from like seeing all these kind of like people using drugs, especially like celebrity icons and it's being glorified in like the culture that we like live in. Um, I feel like kids look to that and they say like, I want to be part of that kind of culture and fit in to have like something kind of to talk about or to be part of so that they can be part of like some kind of social culture that other people are part of. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So your, your take on the scenario, what, I mean, it's kind of binary, at least the way that we've set it up. What, what do you think is the most effective policy when it comes to high school treatment of drugs? All right. So I would say that we have to replace punishment with prevention mm-hmm. okay so what that means is that rather than like finding out some kid is using drugs and trying to stop them from ever doing that again which is obvious that's the end goal you should look at the situation more as like what is the personal situation with that person what does that person actually have what kind of issues do they have going on at home at school you know there are definitely leading factors to that lead people to actually turn to substance abuse in the end so I feel like that kids and school counselors actually should be more involved in this. Mm. I feel like they should be more uh, involved in addressing like what's actually wrong with the person rather than what's wrong with the situation or how did this start. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Kiddis, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I also agree with Josh, but I also feel like it's the epidemic of like drug use and like pens and jewels is infiltrating to like middle schoolers and like starting there I hear like people from when they're like 12 and 13 like starting to use like all these like e-cigarettes and stuff Mm. so I feel like having like them have like the knowledge and tell them like the dangers of it from that age like so it doesn't start later when they're like getting older because people like start it then and then it becomes like their culture their way of life like they go to school they use it and they live in school in that like phase of high whatever yeah and so, but I also, and then the best way to like treat it, I feel, um, in starting like middle school, high school, I think that like perhaps like a one, like the first offense if caught for the person should be like punished, like a suspension, maybe like four days, five days. Hmm. And then to see, and then after, if it's like a third, maybe a fourth 
offense, then the rehabilitation should be come into play because that means it's part of their lifestyle. Even though they've taken the like punishment and they've not, not been in school, they've been caught for it, they don't care obviously about it because they continuously do it. And by having the rehabilitation, it it under it like takes away from the people that have it as a lifestyle versus people that maybe like tried it once like in school or something so i feel like having that it takes away like the um people that like do it for life and then the people that just do it for sure for once for sure i hate to play devil's advocate a little bit but i've been thinking a lot a lot about this particular topic and i think that it's particularly difficult on specifically how to implement a policy that minimizes drug usage because I think that drug usage is all personal Mm -hmm. and it really depends on the person why they initially start using drugs. And so I think that current policies, like a lot of schools have a zero tolerance policy or three strike Mm -hmm. policy. I just don't think that they're effective. Um, And and the research kind of backs that up. Yeah, Yeah, the research backs it up. I was reading an article from, I think you said it was Washington Washington Post. Post, um, And it was a comparative analysis of the United States public school system to Australia's school system and how they went about dealing with drug abuses and and just encounters with drugs. And the the United States, which is a lot more strict in terms of their policies, had worse rates in terms of drug usage and recidivism than Australia, which had more lenient policy. Yeah. Um, when, it, when it comes to their policy, so I, I actually read the study that it, it referenced, um, and it kind of talks about um, the longitudinal effects, longitudinal being over the span of a few years. Uh, my kind of like issue with the study was it was only t- over two years. So it was from seventh grade to ninth grade. And I'm like, there's so much more in your life. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the, the they kind of talk school. about a few different things. One, they say that when you use suspensions as a form of deterrent, it actually increases marijuana use with the kids. Yeah. The second thing is that they said the most effective way to reduce in the long term any marijuana use because that's what they focused on because they they there's a lot of research that was done on tobacco use back in like the 60s and 70s um and so when it comes to marijuana use they said that receiving abstinence notes or messages which is like abstaining from using these things is a good thing from their administration was very effective as well as counseling which is something that josh mentioned from teachers in specific which you have a very close connection with yeah my issue and my my take on this is i think this this scenario and this question really comes down to what is the job of a public school system from from an ethical perspective can you be involved in kind of determining what a lifestyle should be for a kid because when if you say yes then i think you can go ahead and do policies like this where there's counseling but if not, then it, it kind of goes back to a system where you have to punish a lot. And I think it's it's even more important in the in the sense that a school is not a parent. That's what a parent's for. But when a parent's not there, does the school then step in? Because I think I think if we trace back a lot of drug use, I, I don't know necessarily. I agree that there's social stigma, but I think there are other reasons as well on a personal level. Yeah. And, and I, I know that there are higher rates of drug use among kids who, for example, uh, only have one parent or don't have someone involved in the picture. And to me, that's where the question becomes very hard. Do you then step in knowing that you need to make an impact on this kid's life or do you say this is outside of my boundary? That, that I'm curious what both of you think, especially uh, as well as Joey, yeah, for sure. as to what you think the role of a public school should be when it comes to the kids. All right. 
So I guess I'll go first. So I have two things to kind of address there. One is just like, all right, first, I want to make it clear that like when you're starting this kind of process with trying to intervene in kids, especially when, especially early on, you have to have parental acknowledgement because that's mm-hmm. just one thing that, you know, you don't want to impede upon like the autonomy of like however the parents want to parent their own children. But if you were to like get involved with the parents and ask them like, is it okay if we stop your kids from doing drugs like <laughs> uh like is that fine whatever procedures they want to like be involved in because i think it's important that parents actually are involved in it but it shouldn't be like they shouldn't be the the exact people who are being part of the uh treatment like early on sure because that kind of sets up like a little bit of a pressure zone where kids may feel like cornered where like their parents are getting involved everyone's getting mm-hmm. involved like it should be kind of like a comfortable environment where like someone that you have a close-knit relationship with that doesn't necessarily like threaten you, I guess I would say, is like your your counselor or your teacher like you were touching upon. Sure. And then uh, just another thing would be just to, for the counselors and the parents to like get along well, they have to have like a plan as they go along for when like the parents should get involved, like at home too, because it is like a two-step process like you were talking about. You were talking about how it's not just like the social pressures. It's a lot of times like kids from it's what's happening at home, right? So a lot of kids may deal with depression, for example, right? Like mm-hmm. this is just a hypothetical scenario. So I'm looking at like the alternative where we, we continue with punishing, right? And we don't have any kind of treatment. And if you look at a kid who's like depressed and let's say they get caught jeweling or whatever, whatever kind of drugs they may be doing in school, it, when you catch them and you don't look towards like a more of like a integrated way to, to prevent them and you just punish them, what it looks like from the kid's perspective is, okay, I have a problem, let me, like namely depression here, and that problem I'm trying to solve on my own because I don't feel like anyone else can help, right? And they self-medicate. And then they get caught and they're, what they see from their eyes, what I would say they see from their eyes, and I think I've heard this from people too, is that they're getting in trouble for them trying to solve their own problem yeah. because they don't get the help from anywhere else. And I think that's kind of the root of the issue. Absolutely. Kid, what do you think? Um, like based on what you were saying, yeah. I think that uh, like the school, it's like imperative for the school to get involved because I feel like the school's role and of what they're supposed to do for us, raise us to be like like educated, knowledgeable children. I feel like drugs and like other substances like inhibit our education and they're directly like intertwined you there's definitely like a correlation between um like lower grades and like like higher absences and drug use like for these kids so i feel like the school's role whether it's like the school counselor or like a a program that the school has for kids i feel like that's necessary because it's greatly like affecting their Mm -hmm. like school performance and their parents role I feel is also like necessary because we only have six hours of school in a day like there's only so much a school can do once you leave its boundaries I can like show a good face to my teachers I can be like uh, absent in front of them and then I go home and then it's a different story and Mm -hmm. then I have parents also I feel like the parents should be involved with like the program if the school has because the parents I don't know they are not involved they're not there but or a guardian they have to like enforce the like again like Josh said like not to corner them and feel like they're um like getting like so much pressure from like the school then they go home and then their parents are like badgering them but it has to be like like Josh said like more comfortable but I feel like a both like a home and school like a like watch over basically yeah. is like necessary because you have to control like all aspects of your life because your life just isn't school. Your life just isn't home. So both aspects like need to come into play. And like also what Josh was saying with like um 
kids trying to like fix themselves there's like something in psychology known as like the fundamental attribution error like like attributing like drugs to their person's like disposition like who they are like they must be a bad kid they must have like a like a bad like but then like the opposite side is like the environmental side which is like the environment that surrounds Mm -hmm. them which is like that's the error where it's perhaps like they have their parents like are a bad influence on them and then their environment like their friends when they surround themselves like it's not the kid that's the, the like issue in in reality it's like the um sur- like surroundings like their environment basically yeah. i yeah. think it i think it becomes very difficult and joe I'm, I'm very interested in your perspective as well and I'll, and I'll give my own take but when it comes to what you both said what then happens when the school or the parent disagree that that i think becomes the hardest situation because i think there are more instances where parents and and the teachers and everything will will not be on the same footing and in a lot of cases i'm sure that that parents care about their kids and want the best for their kids but in those instances where there's a misstep um and and in my mind i think back to to like and i don't know why i think like this but to religious cases especially when it comes to like the supreme court when talking about whether or not religion can have a a role in in our school system and in a way Yes, it's very different. It's not a religion. But in a way, this revolves around similar similar conversations about your personal like choices, I guess, and what the school and I guess also the government, because it's a public school, can influence on you. So I'm curious mm-hmm. from both of you, before we, we get into our perspectives, as to what what's the proper course of action once there is a disagreement? All right. So just so I can get this out of the way first beforehand, like just to prevent any disagreements, there should be some kind of agreed upon plans that you can, you know, minimize those. But if there is a disagreement in my mind, at least ethically, I want to say that the parents should have the ultimate say at the end of the day with what is going to happen with their children. Even though at the end of the day, it may be true that like the school or whatever program they're trying to implement may help prevent the school the student from continuing to abuse drugs or have any kind of substance abuse. I think that the parents at the end of the day, you know, it's their kid and it's their choice how they want to parent their kid and how they want to see them stop doing or continue doing, which is, you know, not the hope, but that's, that's their choice at the end of the day. Kid, what do you think? Uh, It's very difficult, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I agree. It's like with Josh, it's there. The child is obviously the parent is, ultimate like say like the executive decision the parent should have but ultimately like the end goal is to like have like the most the best life for your kid and who knows the adults like intention and what they decide for themselves they honestly the parent themselves could be doing drugs and the school can't be involved because the parent says no I feel like that's an like unfortunate like fate for the child the he can't decide he, she can't decide their parents and because of that they their lives are like ruined because mm. of the decision of what the parents has like that's an inevitable fate that they're gonna have but so i feel like at that point the school needs to like inter- intervene with like the parents decision and why they're deciding that and like a, a further investigation needs to happen sure. to see the parents involvement with the, like, the child and like their relationship because that ultimately can like ruin or like help the child so i feel like the it, like the investigation part is like necessary for like the school and the um the kid the, and like the family life at home so i yeah i think that's best bet it. yeah best bet. joey 
take on the two topics that we just talked about? Yeah, so I agree with Kittis that this is a pretty difficult topic to talk about because our parents usually override whatever anybody else says, but when it's a school which is intended to help us out, we're stuck in a rock and a stuck between a rock and a hard place, especially if the parent is absent from the equation. Um, so let's say you have an unstable family life where your parents are never home, then whose position overrides is very difficult to say. And I think that the best way to go about this in particular is looking at the particular situation at hand because certain instances may be more severe than others. Um, so for more severe ones, maybe the school may need to override if it's like a really serious drug issue. But if it's like a minute offense, um, then it really depends on the situation. I can't just like overall make an overarching statement saying the the teachers or the Absolutely. administration. It's, it's case by case. That yeah, definitely yeah, it definitely sense. is. Um, in, in my mind, I think it's kind of interesting that we always focus on the the school and the parents when I think the kids are, are always needed in that conversation. Like if they're, if they're not involved, then it seems like two powers, regardless, are trying to be paternalistic and parent them yeah. on every single choice that they make. So in my mind, I think it's very important to also get the buy-in from the kid. Now, that's hard sometimes, especially if they are addicted to doing something or addicted to a substance. Then it becomes very, very difficult because obviously they want to continue in their ways. From a, from a physiological and psychological perspective, they're stuck. So that, to me, also becomes a hard situation. But I agree totally that I think the parent, at the end of the day, should have the parenting role. I think if the government and the public schools try and establish their own claims as to what should or should not exist. I think it sets a very bad precedent for, for other situations. And I also think that's part of the reason why some people disagreed um, with religion being in um, public schools to begin with, like prayers and stuff like that. want to pivot the conversation just a little bit to another solution that I was reading about. Um, so there's this, there's this thing called the opposite of D.A.R.E., and it's created by DPA, and they launched a new, new drug education curriculum which they believe to, to work much more because it requires kids to basically learn, practice, and research together. They have dialogue about stuff like we're having. They have to challenge their own beliefs by role-playing, stuff like that. And they do it all in middle school in their health classes. So I'm wondering what you think the effectiveness of stuff like that could be. Yeah, I think we did them in yeah, health. We, we yeah, we, we yeah. did. Yeah, I re did. remember that we had like the... Um, What's the group in the high school where they come down? Like the it's like peer drug, peer, peer drug yeah, and yeah. educators. They come down and like they have like the each person with a group and you have like that dialogue of like perhaps Ma you see Mary like she's like throwing up on the side like what do you do like stuff like all those dialogues. I feel like in middle school from my perspective at least and like surrounding my like my, my peers, I feel like it's not that effective honestly. Like the dialogues and stuff because it's more of like a play in my head. It's more of like. Um, an abstract scenario that could never happen to me but so I feel like these like dot like the like doing it and especially like in middle school like we don't see it necessarily like now in Roslyn like we don't see people like throwing up everywhere because like we're only like 12 like 13 at this case but, yeah yeah, yeah so, but I feel like in like high school like that's when it actually like it's like oh my god this is real life like this actually happens to like my friends my friend this happened and we can actually apply those like aspects of what we're learning to our life but I feel like in middle school like in like the this program I feel like it won't be necessarily that effective because it's just not real life for us yet and that not that it's not gonna happen but it's not like our scenario like that we're living in as like 12 13 
11-year-olds in high in middle school? I For me, how I see it as is, okay, these programs, like these kind of role-playing programs that come <laughs> to our school, at the end of the day, their goal is to change the stigma about what students think about drugs, right? And like how, how they view substance abuse. But then what kind of becomes like contradictory is that kids in school don't take those programs seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So in order to make those effective, you have to change the stigma about trying to change a stigma, yeah. which just doesn't make, like it's too much trying to change in like some kind of like large scale. What I feel like is more effective is like, there can be some type of role playing, but I feel like when you make it more personal for the student yeah. in terms of um, how do you think that your brother would feel about you dying tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, about, I mean, like, pathos. Like, something like that. Like, yeah, it's, it's like pathos. <laughs> when you make it personal about, like, straight to the student, direct to the student, or maybe, like, even just, like, using some kind of scenario that's that's still more personal. For example, like, saying, like, you're, like, someone who is a grade older than you or two years older than you two years ago died because of this or something like that. Mm. Or some kind of thing to make it seem more real and, like, close to the person. You know? Interesting. Yeah, I'll yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. When not for um like drugs, like substance abuse, when we had the um for driver's ed. Yeah, Yeah, when the lady came in and she told her personal story about her son dying like in front of us and she's told stories about like that like, applied to her life. Yeah. It, it, it was like an eye opener and everyone was like, well, like you, the room was silent. You could see people actually paying attention and yeah. listening to her and actually comprehending the like the effects of it. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. That was the go. first time I ever took <laughs> off my air. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I always listened. I heard her I say something about someone dying. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, oh shoot. Sure. No, I think so. Hold on. I I agree, but I've been I've been wrestling with this issue lately because we watched a really weird movie in Spanish, and there was some very graphic <laughs> content. Um, and I almost feel like when we do stuff like that, we have to also be careful not to overexpose yeah. kids that's very true because yeah. it's very i i am one of those people who believes that innocence is bliss and like i almost crave some of that innocence that i used to have because yeah. it made my life so much easier yeah so it almost it's almost like you have to straddle both sides of the equations because you don't want to overexpose but you yeah. also want to get your point across yeah and I, it becomes hard because i know when when i listened to that driver's ed thing i was like oh uh. <laughs> and i i, I <laughs> yeah. literally to this day I view a car as like a, a killing machine. A, we a yeah. weapon. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess that's a good thing to an extent, but I would literally be afraid to drive. Yeah. And and that in and of itself can be dangerous too because yeah. I could get in a car crash because, because I'm not being so defensive. Yeah. I think that it's and like secondhand PTSD that you can, I don't want to say contract, but you can develop. <laughs> so it's it's really difficult to find a middle line or a middle point as to whether we should underexpose or overexpose. And I think for each person, it's different and each yeah. person needs a different amount of exposure in order to reap the benefits um so i don't think that any institutionalized system can actually do that yeah i think that it's all through subjective i think that it's all through personal experience and it's really subjective um so i don't i don't really know know how to do that although i think that the panacea to all issues that we can have is mental health counseling um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge advocate for mental health counseling and just yeah. get it. State of mind. State of mind. For real. Yeah. Just, just understanding where you out, where you're at in your point in life, because I think that a lot of teenagers don't understand that right now. And by clearing up the, those points in your life, you can have a more clear direction as to what you want to do in your future and should you or should you not be pursuing these actions. Especially because Asher, if you take the flip side of what you just said, right. Yep. And let's say that 
<clears throat> you overemphasize the extent to which like drugs may ruin your life, right? But then still, even after all that education, a kid could still end up, you know, smoking yeah. or whatever. It's almost like the forbidden fruit effect. Yeah, right? and mm-hmm. they find out. Wait, it's, yeah, it's like the forbidden fruit. Exactly, they find out it's not really that bad. Like, yeah. and then they just continue to do it. It can happen both ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really doesn't matter. There was um, <laughs> that there was, was a weird thing. <laughs> <dude>. uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we had a. Joey. He's like reminiscing about my old life. Uh, Joey I'm, has had an epiphany. I was, yeah. Um, <laughs> There was, uh-huh we were doing a little bit of research. I think it was a topic that we had for debate, and it was all about legalization of drugs. I'm sure that you guys had yeah. a similar topic. And um, they talked about Portugal, which didn't legalize, but they decriminalized all mm-hmm. drugs. Oh. And the interesting impact of that is that there was no more forbidden fruit effect. There was a huge decrease in recidivism in terms of drug-related offenses. Mm-hmm. There was a huge decrease in just drug usage overall because they had more accessibility to drugs yeah. now i don't know if that's the the best solution it's, it's kind of counterintuitive yeah, to what it, we're told yeah. and yeah. and in a way i i actually agree that the forbidden fruit effect is something that it's that definitely probably prevalent. leads a lot of people to it that's yeah. why i think i think in europe like they have more yeah. lenient policies towards alcohol right and I think that the effects of that is that kids perceive alcohol in a completely different way. Yeah, it's, no, and it's very, and especially like in Europe, it's a very cultural thing that like you take like maybe a sip of beer. Like I know when I was in Germany, it's like 16 for like wine and beer. Yeah. And then when it's 18, it's like hard, like, like to kill like, but like when it becomes like the damn they, like, they make a distinction between I, it. yeah i know they're <laughs> like okay like there's, there's like a certain like percent like of alcohol oh, okay, but I, yeah you. that, that thing, yeah and i feel like when it becomes like a part of like your family oriented i feel like it's more of like a comfortable like thing and everyone knows it like it's more like accepted kind of and when it's more of like oh my god i have my hands on this like it, like the mm-hmm. forbidden fruit mm-hmm. forbidden fruit effect like when you, it's like for us especially it's like 21 and like in high school it's more of like of like a getaway kind of like yeah. everyone's like i got it like i'm cool kind of like I, and they put it on like snapchat and instagram and like it seems more of like a like a thing that's like it's you popularized. never have yeah it's yeah. very popularized exactly. and like culturalized for like a, a bad thing how do how do we change the culture around these things that's what i'm it's difficult about. that's really difficult because like so i i could foresee someone saying that's well right. you know this is how we change the culture we drop the age down to the same thing as everywhere else and then like give it a generation and it'll happen but i don't i don't think that's gonna happen i think like european stuff is they have different situations it's it's oh, okay. parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um uh, sorry for cutting you guys off no if you wanted to go but anyways um i i think that it's impossible to change the mindset and i think that policy in general can't can't change mindset to the same extent as personal experience um i think that having people have more exposure to uh certain things like alcohol in a cultural in, in like a more beneficially cultural perception is better than their perception of alcohol as being like a party. How, a, a, how yeah. do you do that? It's, it's, like, it's that very seems difficult. like a lot of words. I think, but. okay, okay. Mm. It's, it's difficult. I don't know right now because yeah. I'm just a 16-year-old who's <laughs> sitting in my basement. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's really. not, no, but that, that's, that's the important part, I think. Realizing I, that we don't know and sometimes yeah. is really important. I, I think it's impossible to get rid of the cult, like, like Josh, I think to get rid of the culture aspect, but I think it's not impossible, obviously, to lessen its effect rather than have like people like being like in a phase like all day, like high or like drunk, or whatever, like all day. You can have like maybe like obviously it's awful, like but, but like just on weekends or something like like not where it's like affecting like school or something. But I also feel like. um Okay, good. I just forgot what I was going to say. That's all good. No we love when that happens. <laughs> yes. Josh, go ahead if you guys want to say All right. So 
I agree that it's not really possible to change it that greatly. But oh, I, think, I remember. I think that the smallest thing that we can do, which is still in and of itself like almost impossible to do, is kind of change what we perceive to be fun. All right, so I was talk, I was reading this article, right, and it was it was going through this case study, and they changed the name and everything because you know for anonymity. But um, it was talking about how when this student went to his guidance counselor after like his parent had referred him to the to the guidance counselor because he had gotten caught, whatever. Um, he was talking with the guidance counselor. And he was going through kind of similar role playing scenarios that you were talking about. Yeah. But they were more geared towards what are his interests, right? Hmm. And so they talked about his interests. To, to to like kind of find the underlying factors for like why is it that he continues to abuse like drugs and all that and his what they found out basically was because he didn't have anything else to do like he, that's <laughs> yeah, all it was he like just boring. didn't have anything else to do okay so what he fa- what they found out is like by going more into him and like what he used to do when he was younger and what what's different for, for, between him now and him then they looked at his different interests and after a while, he started playing more basketball. He became like a chess wizard, and like <laughs> he became, he started doing all these different things that he that would just fill up his time and you know make him more active outside and just generally changing the idea of what fun is for mm. for a kid. That could be individualized or culture. I, I don't know how you would do that, but that kind of relationship where you can find out what it is that a student likes or a kid likes in general that changes the culture. Joey and I talk about uh, this a lot, and. And it kind of touches on on what you were saying. It's kind of hard realizing that about people sometimes because it's almost like there's so much potential there, mm-hmm. and it's just untapped. Yeah. And and if they just change one thing, one like thing, in this literally. case, in this case study, which is not generalizable, obviously, yeah, not, it's a case study. <laughs> but it, if you if you were to change his habits and you, and instead of like you were saying, instead of perceiving like drug use as fun, be like, wow, like. I can be incredible at chess, or maybe I can start writing. Or this. I have. Or that. I have it's an ridiculous. easy. I have an easy solution, um, which is difficult because it takes a. <laughs> it's an it, easy it, solution, it, but it's difficult. It, it takes a lot to get people off their ass. But if for for serious drug abuse cases, I think that like what you were saying, swapping out a habit, I think works best. It's, but if you like reprogram using the same neural I, connections, yeah. I know for me, although I, I'm never, I've never used drugs to that extent. Uh, I've never used drugs in the, in general. Just saying, no, um, big far, big farmer. Big, big farmer. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like I, I thank my my parents for giving me a pull up bar for real. Yeah. Because because it gave me an outlet. Yep. And when I didn't have an outlet, when I was depressed and when I was anxious, I went to a pull up bar. I did some push ups, and I think that that did a lot more benefit for me than me just moseying around in my own misery. And I think that that could apply to drug abuse cases as well, like showing someone giving them some running sneakers and just say go outside for thirty minutes. I think yeah. that that. Could reap a lot of benefits. Um, all right. So I don't know if this is a stretch. You guys can tell me. Listeners can tell me whatever. But <laughs> the way that I hear this is that it it's really similar to how do we make kids like maximize their potential. That's what you guys we were yeah. just talking about. And that can be just in school in general, right? So like there could be a student right now that is like quote unquote terrible at school or doesn't succeed in the school environment that he's in. But he might be like the most ridiculous like photographer you've never you've ever seen, but he's never taken a photograph before, you know, like they have potential in different ways. And so the question is, how do we tap into that potential and make them like see the benefits that they could really be? And Asher, we kind of talked about this before with like changing school systems and everything and how they're 
like the teacher and the people that we interact with shouldn't be seen as like some kind of superior superior mm, right sure. like, yes, where yes. it should be more of like a relationship and we were talking about this before like the teachers i where was it australia that they have like yeah. more of a personal relationship Correct. with their teachers and their guidance counselors and all that kind of stuff so i think that's kind of what we do so when it when, when you're talking about that the the way that i first heard about this there's a school system they got shut down though right so it's called the Free Air Schools, yeah, free air um, and it's and it's based off of an author that I actually really like. His name is Paolo Frieri, and okay. he's he's I I learned that from <laughs> Will. No, no, he's he's Brazilian. So I, Will Will corrected oh, me. Yeah, he Will's said wrong. if you say this again, I will literally slap you. So Will, <laughs> I hope I said it right. Um, <laughs> but so he he wrote this whole book, and he wrote a bunch of books called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Pedagogy is just a very big word for this. It's basically the study of, of learning. I think he told me about this, but yeah, continue. Yeah, and, and basically he goes through... So in Brazil at the time, there was systematic oppression, especially of poor people. And what Friere yeah. did is he went into these communities, he started teaching them. And he, much like Horace Mann, who in the United States... Yeah. Y'all took Public education. So you know, yeah, so he was like, the panacea of all the masses is education. education. In a way, yes, but like there are other things that complicate that. But in my mind, so Friere kind of talks about it in a similar way, but in a much more critical sense. Like, he basically believes if you can learn on your own and you have access, like we do now with technology, you can change the world and you can flip the script on, on your oppressive conditions. And in his mind, that's the most empowering version of a way to change your, uh, like, basically your system in, in society or, or your place in society. But he takes it one step further because he realizes that there's almost like a banking model of education, mm -hmm. which is this idea that you deposit information into kids as if you're, like, someone giving money to a bank. And then during standardized tests or you're just tests in general, you, you're supposed to... You're supposed to withdraw your money, so regurgitate all the information I gave you. Yeah. And obviously, that's that's not how you learn. We're not yeah. we're not banks. We're humans. And so instead, he talks about how there needs to be a more even playing field between the two people in like in this relationship of an education. That your teacher and the student should be learning together, as opposed to one teaching and one learning. And that radically changes. And in my mind, it's kind of like a Socratic seminar. Yeah. Like where someone, almost like what we're doing right now. Like and bouncing off ideas off Exactly. And that's, that in my mind, I've always found Socratic seminars to be the place where I learn the most. Yeah. When it's not graded. <laughs> my, <laughs> my issue, like, y'all are in, in Lang right now. Yeah. And twice oh and it's like, exactly. You have, and, you have to say something and or else you kids will, will repeat the same thing when they don't have to. Like, if a conversation ends, a conversation ends. Yeah. You should not continue it for no reason. Yeah. But in my mind, and, and I'm sad that their schools shut down. Their schools shut down because they were shut down by the government. Potentially because, and I'm very cynical about how uh, education policy works, especially with Betsy DeVos being our yeah. like education secretary. Um, but in my mind, it, it challenges what we have now. And a lot of companies benefit from all these tests, mm -hmm. from all the materials that you have to buy, from all the textbooks. Yeah, it's a and they also buy out some of our politicians. So in my mind, that's kind of why they got shut down. But that's a bit of a tangent. It yeah. definitely is. That's um, a whole other conversation. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's cool. We could, we could have another round table. Just about this idea, for, sure, for, yeah. for real. Because yeah. I know for me, and I think we would all agree with this, our system is effed up. Yeah. Like it just it, it doesn't do what we want it to. And it doesn't prepare us for... The future. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the, the whole intention for public school systems in the United States was that kids were doing things which they shouldn't be doing. They were out in the streets, so they made an institution to 
basically prepare them for their factory work that they're going to be doing yeah. in the future. And, and that's the sole intention and the of the worst thing is that it hasn't changed in like 100 yeah. years. I mean, is, you, you slap an iPad stupid. in my hand yeah. And, yeah. and you think that it's been a reformed system. But I, I think that the basic tenets of that system are yeah. still implemented today. And, and the reason, difficult. so so I I have a secret love, not so secret actually. I talked about mm-hmm. it on on this on this podcast of of Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Okay, I think he's a genius orator. Um, and he he said this one thing that I totally agree with. We have to start treating our teacher teachers more like military, and we have to start start treating them more like they're on the front lines. Mm, so okay. it's like it's well, like I don't like that. You should really yeah. So it's it's kind of like you should be paying them more, way more, and and we should be paying them more like doctors. He always talks about. Yeah, yeah. Um, they should get a ton of money, and in my mind, it would incentivize more people to come to the profession because I think right now, like, there's so many stories of like washed up, beat up people who end up becoming teachers. Yeah, like they're burned out from their finance careers and they go to teaching just as like and a, and a and in job. my mind. Teaching is so important. Like you yeah. literally, you are yeah. on ground zero changing the future. But we don't treat people like that. We don't yeah. pay them like I, that. I thought you meant behavior. Like, no, 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 no. Like, not like, like give having, them guns. No, 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 no. Like, like, the, like behavior and like their attitude towards the students, like a militarized, like like authoritative. No, like, no, no. It's just like. Oh, you mean like, okay, okay. Yeah, the United it, States, the, the United States just idolizes the military. I think that that's just built yeah. into yeah. the united states is just Trillions. like nationality it's just it's just built into yeah. everything that we patriotism think about. yeah exactly yeah. like um what was it the well why am i forgetting the girl rosie, uh, the, riveter? rosie the riveter exactly <laughs> like we, we just idolize that sort of yeah. stuff and yeah. so if we change that focus right to just yeah. education boom it's crazy <laughs> i really yeah. do th- i really do think it starts with giving them more supplies and giving them more money i yeah. agree it's it's actually funny because on the march sat our essay was literally about this like we have to read we had to read an article about so many i don't remember the exact percentages but like so many schools are really underfunded especially in the united states and it really has like a negative effect on the teachers where they don't have their salary so then they can't pay so they can't teach and a lot of them they even want to teach they just they don't go in yeah. because they don't receive pay. So I know that kind of sounds contradictory because then it's kind of like, you know, not self-motivated. But sure. the teachers aren't, like teachers who aren't able to be paid, like it's not that they just don't want to teach. It's just that they need some kind of resources. They need those resources to be able to teach in the first place. Yeah. yeah. I also feel like the entire, like just in general, like with the school system, I feel like it starts there with like, edu- like a lot of people when like they're like, high or whatever in school, I ask them like, why do you like smoke or whatever in school? And most of the time the answer is I'm bored. Mm. Like, and like, and it also ties back into values with like how people don't value like education. But I also feel like it's like because of that, like spitting out information, like one yeah, person. It's not real education. Yeah, it's not real. It's, edu- not. it's, it's just, it's a textbook talking to you basically. And you're just sitting there for 40 minutes Bots. waiting. For- <laughs> <laughs> but I think Bots. the, I think the biggest fault is when, and Joe and I have been saying this way more lately. I feel like I learn more, and maybe this is just because I'm a second semester senior. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. But I learn, I learn more on things like YouTube, yeah. on Reddit, on oh, all like, of that. For me, way for more. Me, for me, dude, like I'm a grade A autodidact. Like grade A, I, you can put me in front of a YouTube, or just like I'll log on to YouTube and just eat up information quite literally but it's a different form of information than the traditional school system but i i genuinely learn through books and and through youtube videos way more in comparison to like the regular school system i don't know if it's just me i think that it's also our generation maybe but 
I think it's with the, especially with the teacher, because personally, like the teachers that are very passionate and like have a connect, I have a connection with, I have learned the most. Like I'm like, for example, Mr. Davis, like my homeboy, I, <laughs> I love him. I've never I, met anyone describe him like that. What, I know I'm actually obsessed with this. Okay. So I'll, I'll be reading my information, studying for a test. And I remember his voice in my head. I like, I don't even have to study. Yeah. I remember him teaching it to me. I remember where he was writing. He's it also unique in a yeah, way. Yeah. He's also unique in a way. And I guess it goes back into like the teacher's like value and like treating them as like more of like, like you said, the military, like, and like having an emphasis on like their like special, like impact on our lives. Because I feel like it's like, or like a recipro- like a reciprocal basically like yeah. of like the teacher's enthusiasm and then it gets replaced with our enthusiasm back into like mm. studying and wanting to do well like for the teacher and like I feel like that relationship between teacher and student is like very important and that's why I was so against when you said like the military thing like with teachers yeah. I thought you meant like like having teachers like I guess like that's dictators kind of like exact opposite yeah, no. of what I and I was like oh no no because I like my I have a very like close relationship with like most of my teachers and like having them as like basically like my like friends kind of yeah. it's like more of like a Reciprocal yeah. relationship. Reciprocal Absolutely. relationship, Absolutely. exactly. Just building off of that, not trying to advertise or anything, but you know, shout out Humans of Roslyn. <laughs> I, I did an interview for Humans of Roslyn with Miss um, Hamilton, right? Yeah. And actually, never. Mind. But uh, I did it. <laughs> I was, was going to describe. I was going to describe the, it to her, like the Humans of Roslyn to them, but it's all good. So I asked her, like, what do you think is your role as a teacher with students, right? And she talked about how, and I'll never forget this quote from her. She was talking about how. Even on days when she doesn't feel great, when things aren't going great for her, when she goes into school, she knows that if she puts 100% of her effort in, all that she can hope for is that her students do the same, right? Mm. And so that kind of relationship that you see with a teacher where, like, if you if a student can see that a teacher is putting in 100% of their effort, like, unless they have some, like, r- they really dislike the class or something, yeah. for the most part, I feel like students will be inclined to try and put that effort back in to a good extent. And I, I think it also translates into this drug policy stuff yeah, that we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, for sure. Because then that creates that personal connection. Yeah, like, like what Kittis was talking about, that reciprocity. Like, kids have to be incentivized to do these things too because I think that we focus a lot on the policy making and what the adults are saying. Yeah. yeah. But we never really listen to the kids. And I think that, that that's the cool part of this podcast. Yeah. Um, I think it's all cool kids. Part. We, yeah. we <laughs> for God's sake, we haven't even had an adult on yet. For it's sure. Just, yeah. Really? Literally, it's been nope. a totally <laughs> kid-run thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess is the good part of it. Um, the All youth in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> Gen Z. You know it, Gen Z. Uh, yeah, we we are, we have some stuff coming related to Gen Z, by the way, which which we'll keep y'all updated on. Mm-hmm. All right. Like last thoughts. We'll run. We'll run across the table. We'll give our last thoughts in this conversation. Any any ending notes that you want to talk about, Josh? You want to go first? All right. So I don't know if we've touched upon this enough, but definitely the biggest thing that we could say is that we have to break down the wall between guidance counselors, teachers, and students, right? Where it's not as much as like a relationship where you perceive them as this kind of authority like we talked about earlier and that there aren't someone who kind of like controls your life rather, but they're more like a friend where you can talk to them about what's going on at home. And that's not something that's going to happen like very quickly. It's definitely going to take time. But even the fact that you're putting in that time to try and find out what's the underlying reason for a student to do something, regardless of what it is, that is honestly what I think students will see as, okay, they're trying to put in the effort to help me, and I can't help find my help on my own, so this is the best solution for me. Great. 
Um, I also agree with Josh, but I also feel like it's not just policies like within school and like having like a 12 step program. I feel like it ties much deeper back into like, like, again, like I said, values, like socioeconomic and like environment kind of. So I feel like stemming back from there and like basically the roots of like where it comes from rather than just like attacking the problem like when it's already prevalent, Mm. like going back and like stemming into like prevention, like Josh was saying before and like having that like implemented like a program before the problem presents itself I feel like having that like it um just like implemented and like established is like important so I feel like going back to like the roots basically is the most effective way absolutely Joey sure um I think it's a culmination of everything that you guys just said I mean that was that was pretty beautifully put but um (laughs) thank you yeah no, no problem man uh yeah honestly uh this was a great conversation and I definitely think that Kids should be more conscious of what they're putting in their body just at a baseline. Um, I thought you said kiddos. Yeah, I thought so too. No, no, but, but kids should be more more conscious of what they put in their body at a baseline. Um, make make good decisions. I'm just going to leave it at that. You, we can completely avoid all of these policies, all of these, all of these basically theoreticals by just making kids make better decisions. Mm. So I strongly advise kids adults grandmothers babies dogs anyone <laughs> just make make good decisions please. can i just say one more Go ahead, sorry yeah, also we don't want to be the guinea pigs because we're the first generation yeah. of having these like we don't know what they do to us like they, for all we know we could like the people could die and like like when they're 60 because of like what Thanos we're doing snap, to ourselves you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i feel like like knowing that like that and how we don't know its effects especially just it just came so like being able to like make good decisions and like understand what you're putting into your body i feel like that's absolutely extremely important my final thoughts are let's start treating our teachers more like they are the front lines let's let's make sure that they get the recognition that they believe get the pay that they that, that they need um and make sure it's all focused on the kids and what they need as well joe you have something for else sure to say? uh well, I guess that that's it. But if you guys have anything that you want to plug, I know Josh, you have uh, your stuff and Kittis, your Instagram, Snapchat, just any of your handles <laughs> yeah. for sure. Go for it. Here's All your right. time. Well, before that, I just want to say, listeners, if you're doing drugs, just know you have your, like Joey was saying, you have your own control, internal locus of control. You can control your own <laughs> psychology. Life. I, yeah, and there are also people out there for you in, in yeah. every single yeah. school for sure. And yeah, all of us here are here to help. If you can contact us some way. Yeah. All right, but um. Second of all, just want to, if you guys are listening, I would appreciate it if you guys checked out www.humansofrosin.org. There are a lot of stories on there. I just interview random people and people I know just to ask about, you know, some major struggles that they've gone through in their life and other things like that. Oh my God, my stomach. All right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so hungry. Um, I I, I don't really care. It's I don't care. Snapchat, Instagram. That's fair. Yeah. People know me. We're good. All right. Shout out out Kiddis then. Boom. Uh, Yeah. But anyways... Thank you, Josh, Kittist, Asher, Thank Joey, you. Thank for, you, for, <laughs> for attending this great episode. This and our first ep- round table. Yeah, for sure. Is this episode 0013? 14. 014, wow. Okay, well, episode 014 coming to a close. Thank you, as always. And if you want to be part of the conversation and have any input on what we just talked about, our links and handles are in the description, so folks, feel free to contact us. And as always, this is the DWD Podcast. Let's change the world. Peace. Peace. Bye. Go